in 80 countries in seven languages to over a half billion viewers each week. The World Wrestling Federation, the worldwide leader in sports entertainment. Are you ready? Oh, yeah! Let me tell you something, brother. If you're looking for the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be in the podcasting universe, then look no further than Ring Ring the the Bell. Bell. Bringing you the best in the world at what we do, and what we do is take over the world of wrestling reviews, baby. Now, Ring the Bell. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome once again to Ring the Bell. I'm your host, Andrew, and with me this time, it's not Ross Bell. We have a new voice. We're not new if you've listened to the show before. A welcome return to Mr. Ali Thompson. Thanks for having me back, buddy. We're back. It's it's, it's nice to be back and talking wrestling again. It's been far too long, hasn't it? Yeah, how long has it been? For, uh, 10 months, 11 months, something yeah. like that, maybe. Must be nearly a year. Yeah, it's nearly a year. But we, uh, no, we're, we're getting back. We're getting back into the swing of things. We've got a, a bit of an overhaul, a bit of a change, a bit of a reboot, a bit of a reset. But we're, we're bringing the band back together. Uh, and this is just another step on that, on that long road. Yeah, the, f- the first few shows you've done has been good. Ross is great to listen to as well. So it'll be good to get Ross on more. Obviously, Ross has taken a wee step aside. During the end of the last run, so a, a refreshed Ross has his smile back. <laughs> he's he never lost his smile, but he's definitely found it again. Absolutely. So no, it's good. It's good to be back, and the nostalgia kicks back in again when you start talking with you guys and we start looking at older stuff. Well, as we said in our in our sort of our comeback show, we're we're gonna. I said we've we've hit the reset. We're we're going to just look at basically any subject that crosses our mind. We're not going to stick to a a weekly review or, or you know looking back on all commentary like we did as much as we loved that absolutely but we want to just delve into new things so already we've looked at uh obviously we, we looked at Howard Finkel previously the great legendary Howard Finkel we've caught up on some on some current goings on but today we're going way back way way back because Obviously, there's a lot of podcasts out there that look at the classic days, the glory days of wrestling, of WWF in particular. Obviously, our friends over at the Achiro podcast cover that. They've got that wrapped up. But we thought we'd go one step before that. And this really came from you, Ali, about, well, I said to you, what do you want to do? What do you want to look at? And you said you've been watching some some old stuff on the network, Friday 999. And it led us to today's subject, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, me, me and Ross, a while back, had an idea that we were going to start watching Raw, the Raws from the beginning on the network, you know, and just watch them through and talk about them and that. And it, it never came to fruition, obviously, but obviously with this so much time off that we've got there now, um, I decided to go back to, I just went back to 96, late 95, 96, um, and just started watching the Raws weekly and then jumping to the pay-per-view and jumping back to the Raw um, I just working my way through, and it was just some nice moments again. Skipped through a lot because it tended to get a bit boring, and you know you you realise how bad some of the matches were back then. <laughs> um, but you know it was just good to go back, and as we've, we've spoke about just briefly, like some of the things that you completely forgot, um, and you were probably more invested in wrestling back then. I mean, as a child, you know you were so you were so invested because probably still believing most of it was real. I was only 10 at the time, so you're probably still arguing with your friends that it was real and, the real and fake discussion. 
Um, so, no, it was just good, yeah. And when I brought it up to you and, and, and you were keen on the idea, and to even go that, that step further um, from where I started was, was good. So it made me jump onto YouTube because the network doesn't seem to cover all the rows. Really? I thought I had all the rows. So did I. But when I went back on mine, 94 was the first first shows that you can see. Past that, actually got the, 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 first, the first episodes then. They used to have, but they've took them away now. Okay, well, we're going to focus today on, um, say, we went one step before the actual era, and it's the new generation. It was a post-Hulk Hogan, post-Randy Savage world, before WCW launched, before they the Monnote Wars, when WF was struggling to find their identity, really, to find a new era, a new flag bearer, a new roster, a new cast of characters, and there was some... Well, there were some characters. We'll, we'll get into that over over the course of this show. So, what we thought we'd do is we'd look at that that time, which we've kind of narrowed down to around early '95 to late '96, early '97, haven't we? Yeah, I think that's. I mean, I suppose if you speak to other people, you, you would get differences of of timings. But I mean, we had to agree somewhere, and that seems the the common the common ground for us. So, if what we do is look over uh, so who the champions were, some of the major happenings, our memories from this time. See, we look at our ages and everything, and you know, were we watching and and looking back and the network and um, things like that, and just looking at a time when you know, that a lot of people may not be aware of, or you may not have been watching wrestling at that time. You may be a newer fan, you know, if you listen to this show. And yeah, it's just a a, a jog back to the archives. So we're going to look at, as I said, we look at post Hogan. So if you look at '94, you know Hulk Hogan had had left the company by then. He he was in WSW. Randy Savage also was in WSW. '94 was a an interesting time in in the WWF. Uh, obviously, we had uh, Diesel had made his debut, was slowly building up the ranks with with Shawn Michaels as his bodyguard, as my bodyguard. '94, uh, uh, Yokozuna had come into the year as the champion. Uh, Bret Hart and Lex Luger infamously famously you whatever your view on it tied in the royal rumble match in january and in mania we had the, the classic brett versus owen match and the, the show ending with brett uh taking on and, and defeating yokozuna in the main event to, to win that championship and over the course of the next six months brett pretty much dominated the company and became the the, the number one guy that that he wasn't going to be able to with with hogan around uh, and as, as we went on through the year, uh, obviously we had Brett and Owen headlining the company, uh, while just underneath Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels and Diesel were kind of heading up the upper mid-card uh, roster, that cast. Uh, then, of course, we'll remember Bob Backlund shockingly uh, beating Brett as Father Series to, to win the WWF Championship, and then almost immediately, days later, uh, dropping it to, to Diesel, Kevin Nash at MSG. And as we head, if we start our journey into '95, Diesel's coming into the year as the world champion, uh, and you know, as, as as much has been spoken about in regards to the the critical commercial success of of that reign. Uh, what are your views on on Kevin Nash, Diesel as as world champion, Ali? I mean, less so now, um, but at the time, I thought I thought he was excellent. You know, he just it was that big guy. You, you knew Vince would have loved it. Um, and he looked like a monster at the time. He could move. He was quick, you know, for a big guy. Which obviously we'd kind of gotten accustomed to. We with Taker having that like that agileness. He wasn't the, you know, like the giant who couldn't move. And um, 
and he, I mean, he did start working the big man style, you know, a bit more um, when he became champion. So he obviously had the right guys in his ear because they do need to. But I, I definitely enjoyed it at the time. Looking back now, um, when you seen, when you see the wrestlers that they had in in Brett and Sean, um, I don't think they had quite had Vader yet at this time. But no, Vader was ninety six. Yeah, but so. But I think it, it did its job for what it was meant to do because it did make the, 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 the smaller guys having a champion like that, you know, and running them close. And okay, he kept it, he did keep the title for maybe a little longer than he needed to, but he was adding credibility to a title because you, let's be honest, a 10 year old, 11 year old child, you wouldn't want to run into Kevin Nash or Diesel at the time. And, and that's the way my mind worked. Like, I wouldn't have minded running into Shawn Michaels, the Shawn Michaels that came across the screen. <laughs> you know, do, do you know what I mean? It's, um, but there's no way I want to come up against a, a what six foot seven Kevin Nash, long hair, the 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 the, the goatee beard type thing he had. I thought the look was excellent. I loved him as as Michael's bodyguard because um, it just played on Shawn's Shawn's character at the time. Um, do you think they rushed? Diesel to the to the title. If you look at that that whole story, him and Sean uh, split up at Survivor Series, and literally eight days later, he's the world champion. I mean, that's hot shot at the very least. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the it's uh, I mean, just just quickly jump away from the the new. It's the one thing WWE never seem to get right. They either do it too quick, or they they hold off too long, and then it doesn't work. Um, they just never seem to get that that moment. Right, and as you say, there was not, wasn't really a build-up to you know to Diesel even looking like he was going to go for a a title at that moment. It was just all of a sudden because it was a house show, wasn't it? It was MSG, yeah. It was a live event, literally a week after after Survivor Series. I mean, he he was loved at that time. In fairness to to Vince, to to WWF, WWE, obviously, um, because Sean was such a dick. Um, so. Looking back now, in hindsight, yeah, they definitely rushed it. Did it work for the crowd at the time? Absolutely, because he was loved. And kids loved him. There was always signs in the crowd for him, even before he got the title, when he was just the bodyguard. Well, he was obviously champion, wasn't he? He he, he won and obviously dropped that uh, uh, to Razor Ramon at SummerSlam a couple of months before. So he, he had gold, but and he was still teaming with Michaels. He was still, that, that story was still there, but it's a uh, to go literally from you know a survivor series mid card match upper mid card didn't go into a feud of michaels didn't do that that normal split feud then go on to to singles further singles glory to go straight from team split world champion yeah i mean i mean i like not having to have a feud every time a team splits up fair Um, they, they don't do it they don't do it enough in my opinion still um, but you're right, because they had the match at Mania that year as well, didn't they? 95? Uh, 95, and- yeah. They, they, it's slow built. Yeah, it, it did build up, and, and Michaels you know, got that shot, and they did pay off that that storyline, in regards to that feud, at least. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, as I say, looking back, we, I think now, yeah, you can see it was definitely rushed, but at the time, I think... For what they had as well, the, the guys around them, and obviously people jumping to WCW, um, 
I think they just they, they were trying to find that on what we would obviously later like that the, the Austin, you know, that shock factor, just that star coming from coming from nowhere. So it's not that he was coming from nowhere because he was known, but you know, just hit the scene because let's be honest, women loved him, men wanted to be him kind of at that time. He was just that big, you know, as you would later announce as a big sexy. You know what I mean? He 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 did have that aura, that look about him. Mm-hmm. Maybe WWE just try to WWE at the time, obviously, just try to capitalize on it. Um, kind of throwing throwing mud at the wall and seeing what sticked. And I mean, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't fail. So it just probably could have been better. Well, I say it's it's looked the the Diesel era of '95 is is not looked back fondly now from a from a a, a commercial and critical. Uh, view it wasn't a good year for them uh it was many have credited or not most credited is the wrong word of uh, diesel of as nash of pretty much killing business in that year if you just take a, a, a quick look at at the numbers you look at 94 which you know, post wrestlemania 94 was was brett you had me danny danny obviously ran five major shows in 94 because business was was as it, as it was then but you look at out of the the four or the three events post WrestleMania 94, two thirds of them were sellouts, and Brett was was headlining, you know, th- those those events, you know, it um, as as WF champion, you know, the, the the live gates were were okay for the time. Uh, you look into 95 when when Diesel was the champion. Uh, there's one sellout in all of the pay per views in 95. Only one sold out. That was WrestleMania, and that was in Hartford. A small fifteen thousand arena. Yeah, that's not a that's not a stadium like we're used to now. So if you look at, I mean, the in your houses traditionally didn't do well. You know, uh, it took until in your house, uh, in your house four in Oct- in October for them to crack ten thousand people. You know, in, in, as a as a crowd, that the, the live gates weren't good. Business was awful with, with Nash, and maybe that's that's harsh to put it all on him because if you look at that roster. And you look at the matches he he had in '95, you know you okay. Once he got the he did Brett at, at Rumble, which was was a good match. He did Shawn Michaels at, at Mania, but then after that, Sid, Sid, yeah. Mabel, team with Michaels in a in a, a champions match, Bulldog, and then back to Brett at Survivor Series. So as much as people rag on Nash for you know, for, for the the critical and commercial aspect of of the business in that time, look who he had to work with. You now there's not there's not a lot there. No, definitely not. And as you say, just just even those those three matches that you you mentioned with Sid, obviously two of them, Mabel and Bulldog. You know that's not a lot to work with if you're not a great. Like we we know Brett and Sean could work with anybody, you know, and could make anybody look good. Diesel wasn't that that guy. You know, he could he could have a match with a, a smaller guy because he could he could sell, he could bump, he could you know he could move around for them. And it automatically makes them look good and enhances the match. But when you've got somebody like Sid and Mabel was maybe his biggest at this point as well. Yep. Um, and could barely move when he was King Mabel. Um, wasn't wasn't great. And, and Bulldog was what he was. You know, he, he, he wasn't at this point. He wasn't the the Bulldog from from the tag team. No, yeah, he he, he not long returned. He he came back uh, the year before uh, a SummerSlam in in the Brett Owen cage match, uh, and he turned heel on Bulldog uh, in the build up to SummerSlam a couple of months before, uh, and and this was the payoff to that. 
and it, it improved the match quality you know, from from that side you know, compared to Sid, Mabel and, and obviously to Bulldog. But that was coming to the end of Diesel's run. Obviously, at Survivor Series, they switched the belt back to, to Brett. And it yeah. was around a little bit after this time that things started to change in regards to Nash's uh, feeling towards the company. His contract was due to come up. And we'll, we'll get into that when we get into the, the next year. Um, we talk about match quality and, and things like that. Ironically, as as it always seemed to be, especially with Hogan on top, and the quality wasn't Hogan wasn't about the quality. Hogan was about the glitz and the you know the sizzle. The steak was provided elsewhere. In this year, '95, you look at the undercard. You look at the RC Total picture. We spoke about this just just before we started recording. Razor Ramon, Jeff Jarrett, Shawn Michaels. Those three pretty much made up the Intercontinental Total picture for the whole of '95, didn't they? Yeah, one or the others in in every match. Yeah, all the way through. Um, and again, Jeff Jarrett's another one that you forget how good he was. He probably didn't get the not 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 this early anyway. The the runs that he deserved. He was always in the matches, um, but it was just I always felt he was always looked in on in this era. I think, yeah, because, you know, if you look at that time, Diesel was on top, Shawn Michaels was, was leading underneath, you know, so... And they were those, building Razor up to be... Yeah, exactly, and Razor was always the, the, the thorn in their side. Yeah. You know, even when Shawn Michaels turned babyface after after Mania 11, and then Shawn and Razor had their, their ladder match, their, their rematch at SummerSlam that, of that year, as babyface versus babyface. Uh, and it was always those three, and you had the click kind of headlining the shows. They they were taking command, both in the main event and on, yeah. and the undercard. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, I mean, Sean was always going to be, you know, one of the, the main figures. I mean, I think his personality was too, too big not to be, um, even at this time. And then, obviously, as you say, they were just building. Razor was slowly getting bigger and bigger. I mean, he became a fan favourite almost right away when he after he you know he was the heel originally and then he just grew and grew and he became more and more lucky again he just had that look didn't he that uh-huh. everything seemed to attract to yeah the long hair the you know you had that cockiness arrogance but when he became the good guy it just became confidence it wasn't arrogant like the heel which was quite a good when you think about it it's quite a good character to have because he didn't have to do much change. It was just change certain certain promos slightly. Yeah, his persona and, and the way the way he fought didn't have to change much, um, because it just depends. And that's where then commentary was so crucial as well. You know, you needed the commentators to be on top of that as well. That that was our biggest thing with with Nash in '95 is he got over being that largely silent, big, dominating powerhouse and then they put the belt on him and he became mr company he became you know overly fan friendly and happy and smiley there's almost comparisons to to modern day like a roman reigns that he was the big guy in the shield powerful cool you know everyone wants to be like everyone to be hanging around him and then he became like suffering succotash and comedy and and funny and smiley and it was just it's like, you know, look at what got you to the dance. So why change it? It's, there's, there's some guys that just, that need, that need managers, really. 
Well, the thing is, Nash is a funny, charming, charismatic person. He naturally is. But he didn't get over being that. That would have come out eventually. But they forced it. They did a complete... It became like Big Daddy Cool. And it was it was so, like, hammer, subtle sledgehammer. You know, it was, there was no subtlety in it at all. It was like, boom, this is what we want him to be now. And you're going to love him. And it was... It yeah. kind of caused that fan uh, resentment in a way. It's that WWF obviously at the time, but WWE thing about not getting themselves over. Exactly. That that's it. That they they have to get them over, not only to get yourself over. And that, and I mean that'll never go away. And the the biggest case in point, I'll always bring it back to for that one is Zack Ryder. You know that is the pinnacle of why you should never get yourself over in yep. that company. Now, one name we haven't mentioned so far, we talked about, you know, Diesel on top with Sid and, and Mabel and and obviously just undercard, you got Sean and Razor and then Jarrett. Bret Hart. Now, remember, 94 was Bret Hart's year. He won the belt from, from Yoko at Mania. He became the number one guy. Hogan wasn't there anymore. He he dominated 94 with Owen. They had the, the cage match at SummerSlam, the classic. And then afterwards, as Diesel kind of ascended to the, the throne, Bret kind of found himself pushed down that just completely pushed out of the way he was yeah you know, he was in the mid card he was battling like jean-pierre lafitte over a leather jacket uh he was battling hakushi great matches but there was no direction he was doing the stuff with jerry lawler and isaac yankum at SummerSlam. what happened with i mean do you remember you know when you were watching that time thinking hang on brett was like the guy in 94 brett was the number one last year why is obviously we we don't know we didn't know then what we know now and how the business works and so on but it was quite jarring to see brett be that guy the year before and now be just another guy i i i hadn't thought about that at the time no it wasn't until again we we kind of watched back and and the more you you become a not not saying a proper fan but you know an educated yeah i think at the time it, it didn't even resonate to me that the the best were on last sort of thing. You know, you kind of like, I, I grew up a Warrior fan. To me, Warrior was the greatest. <laughs> Looking back now, we all know that's not true. But, you know, that didn't resonate at all because there was Warrior matches that would be on second or first or second on the card. Yeah. Because they tended to be quite quick, you know, and out of the way. Again, a bit like what we were saying with Hogan, it was all about the, the glitz and glamour, it was all about that. You know, it wasn't about the, the, the stake, as you say. So I think at the time it didn't really cross my mind. It was just good to see Brett. Um, not that I was a I was a Brett fan. I always found it quite boring when I was younger. Um, you know, there was no no. He didn't really seem to have a pers- personality either. So it was kind of hard to to resonate with him. Um, but the more you look back at, it, as you say, as you become an educated fan and you you realise what you love and what you don't love about the business. It, it, it was strange. Obviously, we know a lot more about it now as well, just with uh, all the documentaries that come out. But even when you get to that 16, 17-year-old stage for myself, when you, you're still, that's when, like, you know, you're going back and learning more, even the stuff you've watched, um, as much as you can with magazines and online blogs. Um, it, it was still strange not to have Brett, even, like, as you're, as you say, in the IC rain, and, and with, Jeff, in with Razor, in with, in with Sean. What quite a strange outlook at the time. Now, while we were doing our research for this show, uh, one thing that I 
made note of that you said you completely forgot was the in the tag team picture in in 95 early 95 we had uh more set up for what we'd see at mania with with batman bigelow and lawrence taylor but then while that was going on we had a new team debut at wrestlemania to to, to take the tag team championships owen hart and a mystery partner and who would that mystery partner be your cousin you forgot this one didn't you <laughs> like the minute i read like your when you had done it and you had seen it and I and I was like they were great as a team because that was when he had Fuji and uh, blah, blah, blah. what's his name now Cornet Cornet that's it you know we're in the corner as well it was just great because obviously Owen could speak we know Owen can talk yeah we Cornet as well just that you know that eccentric voice it was just a great combination you know the little and large Owen still one of the most underappreciated wrestlers to this day. I mean, you mentioned earlier, even like the the Owen Brett WrestleMania Ten match stole the show. Um, so this team just worked for me. I mean, at this time, I still believe Yokozuna was was Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> That's how invested I was in the business at this time. Um, as far as once they won the belts, they pretty much just dominated the the tag team picture from for most of the year. Uh, end up losing it and then regain it slightly and then they, they eventually lost it sort of around September time but it kind of Owen was never going to be a main event you know he had his run the main event with Brett the year before you know that was kind of it for him unfortunately so this gave him an outlet some creative something to work with creatively TV time championship and he seemed at least you no know, me naive fan in 1995 seems to be having fun doing it yeah, I think Owen's one of I mean, we spoke about P-Pod, just about the characters needing titles and people needing titles and titles needing people. Owen, I don't think, ever needed a title. He, he was never going to get the main title because of Brett. Um, but he seemed to have that personality, and especially the more you've learned about Owen, you know, since his passing and hearing people talk about him, I don't think he had the mentality to carry the, the main title and be that, you know, be that public figure. Because he just liked life too much, mm-hmm. you know. I could, I think he, he probably deserved more of like a maybe the IC run, you know, the mid card, because he could make anybody look good. Um, but the tag titles were good for him, and obviously, as I mentioned, uh, where I am in '97, I mean, the, the Heart Foundation come back together, and that's when he's got his slammies from the team with Dingy. That was just that was perfectly suited for Owen, and I don't think he'd have any resentment over it, just from the way you hear family members and, and friends from the business all oh, and talk about him. I don't think he was ever a, a main title guy, although he had the ability for it. I would have liked to see him with the IC title more. Um, or the, when they brought in the, I think this is about the time they brought in the European title, 96. Uh, right? 97 European 97, title. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the, the title, those were the championships that were suited to one. For me, even now, and his ability definitely could have had him in the main event picture, but I just think the, the personality of, of Owen was, let's just enjoy what you're doing. Like, he didn't seem to worry too much. Yeah. So, that's our, that's the, the main look at the, the titles in, in 95. Elsewhere, we, we briefly touched on, obviously, Lawrence Taylor uh, made his, his 190 wrestling appearance at WrestleMania against Batman Bigelow which uh, main year 11 was not a good show, but it did get some mainstream publicity because of, of that. Um, 
we spoke briefly that we're going to get touch on regarding some of the characters in 95. Now, 95 was not a good year for gimmicks, was it? I mean, were like any of the gimmicks back in any of the scene of any good? Um, I think probably Undertaker was maybe the only one. In fact, Goldust came in 95, late 95, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the two char- character characters that have probably turned out the out the best. Um as I said to you, I, I, I think the goldest characters that the initial seed to the to the attitude era. Um, just when you think when you look back now um at, at Goldust and and the way he came in and his character and personality, what was my parents thinking letting me watch this? <laughs> like, like I'm not sure I'm letting my 10-year-old son or daughter watch Goldust. Um, oh, they, when, when Goldust, I remember when Goldust first debuted and they really played on the the uh, perverse yeah. side of things. And obviously they're very careful with their wording and and the androgyny and that kind of thing. And yeah, it was very, um, very risque for the time. Very much Absolutely. so. Yeah, I mean, and, and to think... Like fair play to a lot of the guys that he's been up against because obviously he was he was acting very homosexual during it all. Um, whatever mm-hmm. word you want to use. Yep. And and they allowed it. And at that time, especially in some states in America, I can't imagine that have gone over very well. Oh uh, well, no. The the reaction. I mean, I remember the uh, in '96 uh, he had a feud with Ahmed Johnson, yeah. and it. Um, and there was some some issues there, and yet generally that the crowd reaction in the early days to Goldust because of his antics, and not just with the crowd, with the wrestlers as well. There was Scott yeah. Hall, uh, famously took great offence to working with not Dustin Rhodes, but with the character Goldust yeah. and the antics. Um, so I mean, the ones who did it, I mean, fair play because the character worked. It, it, it was shocking, all definitely. Um, as I say, I, I'm I'm not sure I would have, a, have enjoy my ten year olds watching it today, let alone back then. Um, but I I still enjoy it now. Like watching back, I, I thought he played it for a character that he actually didn't enjoy. I think he did it so well, uh, which is a, I guess it's a testament to 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 Dustin. Um, so other than Goldust, which do we call Goldust success? I mean, he had some some ups and downs, a lot of downs. But overall, would you call Goldust a successful gimmick? It lasted until two thousand nineteen, nineteen, eighteen, nineteen. Okay, yeah. In in a few iterations, yeah. In that sense, I mean, we say Taker's the best gimmick of all time, nineteen ninety until well now, really. And um, we're coming up to what thirty years of Undertaker. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Crazy as that is to think, but. Yeah, so in that sense, is Goldust a success? I, I, for me, he is. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed the character. Even in the latter years, it was, you know, it was much toning. Um, but I liked the character. But then I like Stardust, so take it that what you will. <laughs> um, I mean, I do love a good gimmick. I, I, again, I, I think we, we gimmicks don't need titles. Um, I'd said that to you, to previous. But, I mean, as I say, the longevity was there. 
as I say, for me, it started off the started off the attitude era, like the, the seed of it, like you know that. The thing is that if you remember when Goldust first first debuted and the, the, the vignettes, he was just a movie buff. Like he quoted movies. That's all he really did. But it seemed at first, if you look back to and you can do this on the network, the very early days of Goldust's first few appearances, he would be like uh, a movie fan with quotes, and then he would it didn't he didn't come straight in with that androgynous, as they said, perverse. Man- mannerism straight away it, they seem to okay we've got this guy who's going to be all in gold that's that's his gimmick pal that's what we want <laughs> but they didn't know like what they wanted gold dust to be it seemed at first so i wonder if they were just throwing stuff at the wall and to see what would stick yeah definitely um i mean the the, the main gold dust was definitely when he brought in the you know when the white stayed gold and he, he did have the you know, they had the chair, the director's chair. And, yeah. Um, did Marlena come with him straight away? Or did uh, Marlena in? came in, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she added so much to the character as well. You know, walking out with the gold dress, the cigar. Mm-hmm. Um, it was basically like a Rolls reverse, wasn't it? Really? Yeah. She was She was the man in the, of the relationship type thing. Um, I, I personally, I, I say again, I think it's a success. I think it worked. Um, what it did, obviously, the more toned down it got, the sillier it got, which obviously they had to tone it down, but that's when you probably feel they probably should have stopped the character then. But then Dustin never really worked. They never let Dustin be Dustin. A bit like Cody, I guess. Yeah, and that's true. That was never going to happen, but... Okay, so gold dust worked. Let's look at '95 at what didn't work. Uh, these are just a few. There, there are more, but these are the ones that kind of, in in my research, stand out in no particular order of best to worst or worst to absolute horrific. Uh, we mentioned briefly Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Uh, obviously, uh, he was actually part of the Quebecers, former yeah. tag team champions in 1994. Um, Jacques Rousseau was his partner. He had uh, he was obviously towards the end of the time. But Pierre uh, kind of was the the uh, he was the bigger one. He was doing the moon salts and the sentons off top rope and things like that. And then he disappeared. You know, when Jacques retired, Pierre just vanished for about 18 months or so, and then showed up as a pirate, a just pirate, a yeah. pirate. I mean, it was. It was insane. It was just like, hang on. And then just the fever brought heart because he stole Brett Hart's leather jacket. Yeah. I mean, they had a great match in your house three, which I fully recommend go back and watch. It was kind of, it showed that Brett could be like, he was, you know, if, okay, while the others were main eventing, Brett was your stable, reliable, the guy in the mid card. He'd get anyone over that he wanted to, you know, Hakushi, Pierre, but it was just, it was weird. I mean, Pirates weren't a thing in like this was way before parts of the Caribbean, it, and way and obviously Paul Birchall came way after that. But yeah, it was just very very peculiar. But compared to some of the other ones we're going to get into, a pirate looks absolutely fine. Yeah, I mean, I mean, before we get into some of the silly ones, the one the one that gets me and it, and it's mainly because of what he was before he came was the was Dean Douglas, the teacher. Oh yes, now. Shane Douglas, for those who aren't aware, former ECW champion, foul-mouthed, violent, you know, uh, not a great wrestler, it has to be said, but he could work. He had a brawling technique in ECW that suited him for that 
for that company, uh, came in in mid-95, mainly just with backstage segments as a teacher rating other wrestlers, mainly babyfaces, you know, giving them a C plus or a D and, and telling them where they where they could go better and what they were doing wrong. And it led to um, a rivalry with Razor Ramon. Ramon, yeah. Um, and... It, and as you know, we mentioned about the the, the RC title picture. Dean Douglas did briefly for a cup of coffee get the RC title when Shawn Michaels forfeited it, and they dropped it to Razor straight away that same night. Uh, there were rumours that him that he had run-ins with the Click, uh, so that kind of put him on the outs pretty much straight away, and he was gone again. That was it. Yeah, he went straight back to ECW, I think, and was never seen in WWE again. No, because he didn't come over in the in that angle. Didn't he he wants to come over with the radicals, but Vince basically said, "No, we don't want you." Yeah. And he stayed WSW, and yep, that was it. Yeah, that was a that was a bad again. More so, I think the the, the, the teacher gimmick might have been suited to a completely new guy. You know, you could have had that heel, but like you know, but belittling everybody. Yeah, but you can't do it on a guy that everybody knows. You know, was this ECW guy? I think the problem as well is, and we've heard a lot of people from this time uh, say the growing influence that Michaels and Razor and Diesel had at that yeah. company. We, we've heard Bam Bam Bigelow talk about, you know, the clicks power and we Chris Candido and, and Shane Douglas have all said that they felt their careers were stunted because of Sean and Nash and Hall. So in another time with a different locker room, Maybe a Dean Douglas character does work. I mean, Matt Stryker, as a former teacher, there were sort of elements in the, you know, we saw in that character and things like that as well. Yeah, I think it's definitely a great heel character. Not a great, but a good heel character, you know. Just one that you could really, it could really annoy the fans. It can really annoy the the boys. Um, and, a, and a proper, like a, you know, like the, the proper white meat, the, the John Cena type baby face. Mm-hmm. Fatu, let's do first talk about Fatu. Now, Fatu has had many incarnations, many different uh, looks and characters in the company. He was a head, part of the Head Shrinkers in, in 93 and 94. In 95, the Head Shrinkers had, had run their course, they were gone. Fatu decided he would try and make a difference. <laughs> so he'd be dressed in a bright, bright jacket, uh, awful theme music. Uh, he went from a Head Shrinkers who didn't know, uh, couldn't even wear shoes. They were barefoot in the ring. Yeah, if we remember Survivor Series the previous year, he slipped on a banana peel, you know, and, and got eliminated. And now Fatu was wearing boots and he was from the streets and he was trying to make a difference and teach kids that drugs are bad and what's good and everything. And this was awful. <laughs> yep. Um, again, it just, especially coming from, as you say, the hedgefinger who had eaten raw meat and couldn't wear shoes and couldn't speak, just made noises to, to to this to this as you say, man from the hood, you know, trying to get kids kids out of all the projects. Absolutely insane. <laughs> um another one, Rad Radford, uh doing a grunge um Nirvana kind of gimmick. The problem being of course that by the time Rad Radford came in, grunge was pretty much dead about eighteen months before in terms of a mainstream popularity, but then as we know, Vince and cultural uh, references have never been uh, on the same page. So 
Vince seems to find out about things about two years after they've been popular. And we're left with Louis Bacoli, who was a very good worker, definite potential, uh, had some issues and some personal demons, but in the ring could work. But doing this character and then a bit later, he was made into a, a body donner in training with, with Skip and Sonny, which again seemed more just for Vince to say, look at Rad Radford, he's chubby, he's overweight, he should be a bodybuilder. You know, it's that kind of... It's another one of those things where you had a good worker and an awful gimmick. Yeah. Vince just... It, it, it makes you wonder how it's lasted so long. Just with the stories you hear about Vince and certain gimmicks and characters. It just... All right, a couple more before we go into the next year. Do you remember Santa Claus? I don't. Oh, I just I read about it this morning when I was looking up because we we spoke about gimmicks. I thought I'd have a look up this morning. So, in 1995, Ted DiBiase, manager extraordinaire, wanted to bring a new person in, somebody would who bring terror and rain rain over the WWF. So he brought in Santa Claus with an X from the South Pole, not the North. He was an evil Santa from the South Pole. The problem is is that Santa Claus is only really popular for one month of the year. So when you're bringing a character in, you know, late December, maybe even earlier than that, the shelf life is very limited. Also doesn't help that Santa Claus, a very young Bulls Mahoney, wasn't very good. Santa Claus. Santa Claus did not last. Another yeah. character that didn't last. Do you remember Manta? Oh yes. <laughs> Try and describe to newer fans what was Manta. Um, because if you know this, no one else does. Because no yeah, one knows what he was supposed to be. No. Um, just a a man with a brown suit and face paint on his. Face. Well, was he a Minotaur? Was was he a, a mammoth? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Did he think he was a Minotaur? Was he an actual Minotaur? Why why was he with Jim Cornette? What like what? I don't know. I, I just the, the thing about Minotaur is how how did Jim commit? Let this go. Wait, Mister. I have an opinion on every single thing in wrestling. How did this get passed? Well, at that point, I think Cornette just do whatever, whatever they wanted him to for a check. I mean, I do remember doing some research. I did find I'd never, I hadn't heard this before. On commentary during one of Mantar's few matches on Raw, Jim Ross actually tried to give it backstory. Now, JR yeah. and bless JR for trying with this one, actually claimed on commentary that Mantar's real name was Mike, and he'd been a bully his whole life and was trying to use the bull thing as part of his persona. I mean, it's an awful explanation, but at what? least he's trying. This does an explanation. And he had a bull head that he took off before the match, and he was, I mean, just, I, I don't know, I have no idea. But that, I mean, for me, out of all the gimmicks in 95, I'd, I'd put that at the top of the worst ones, because it didn't make sense. No, didn't, speaking of, like, the, like, mask. Didn't Al Snow have a gimmick back then? Avatar, yes. He walked to the ring with his mask and then put it on in the ring. Yes. He was was a masked ninja. Ninja. 
yeah. who didn't have his mask on, but only put it on when you started to wrestle. Yeah. <laughs> the, the strangest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Yes, that was another one, actually. Uh, do you remember Techno Team 2000? I don't know. Oh. So, Eric Watts, uh, who was the son of Bill Watts, former NWA, WSW uh, promoter. Uh, Eric Watts got a major nepotism push in, in, in WSW, which completely turned the fans against him because he was, the, he was the son of the boss. So, he was immediately hated. He would beat, like, he'd pin on Anderson, pin Dustin Rhodes. He'd get, like, major pay-per-view matches month in, month out. And it was only until Bill Watts kind of got shunted out that Eric Watts also sort of fell by the wayside. But in 95, Eric Watts actually got a WWE or WWF contract. He got a deal and he got, he got a position. He got a push. Techno Team 2000 were a pair of time travelers called Travis and Troy who had come from the future, from the 2000, to, of all places, 1995. <laughs> uh, they were on TV for a couple, of, a couple of shows, did some house shows, and then vanished. That was it. I'm just, I'm just looking back at it there. Yeah, just... <laughs> when they were just jumping their little machine and go away again. That 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 was it. Oh, I I love gimmicks. Like good, <laughs> good or bad. At the time, I bet you we loved it. Uh, no, I remember hating Mantar that much. I do still. I was thirteen. And I still hated it. Mantar than like just purely because of the look. You know, it just it didn't look like a gimmick. If you know what I mean. But when, especially when you, like the Portuguese Man of War. Mm-hmm. Remember Aldo Montoya? Yep. Terrible. But I had bright colours and a mask, so you kind of got. You kind of got into it as a kid. Bit, bit, of, bit of sparkle and a bit of colour and you were all over it. Um, elsewhere in 95, before we get on to 96, obviously there were a couple of big things uh, towards the end of 1995. WSW launched Monday Nitro, which in turn launched the Monday Night Wars, which at the time we didn't quite know it, but changed the course of wrestling history. Absolutely, yeah. Eventually forced Vince McMahon to completely change his business mindset and his attitude towards what he would promote and everything. So again, we don't know at the time, you know, everything, everything changed from that Monday night in 1995. Um, right. Shall we jump to 96? Absolutely. I think 96 is probably, a, I don't think it's a better year. Well, maybe it is doing a bit. It's definitely more on your mind a bit more. I think this is the time where you're you're starting to grasp things a bit more. You're starting to get that. I know yes. it's your difference, but you know, in your head, you know, you start to get that little bit. You're probably starting to realise, you know, it's not all real when you see Undertaker getting buried alive and putting caskets and coming back alive. So, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So, Brett, come into the year as, as the world champion. Uh, Shawn Michaels um, was. Uh, a baby face as was as was diesel uh but diesel had been teasing the hill turn um following his loss to brett survivor series in 95 so diesel was coming into the year as a, as a hill but not quite there yet um or pretty much getting ready to turn uh there was also again as we said before rumblings about nash's contract and and where he would be and, and things like that uh sean michaels was, was getting that feeling that he was being primed for the the next position 
obviously he'd lost at Mania the previous year. Uh, coming into in '96, Sean was looked at as well. This is our next guy. Bret Hart is 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 the now, but Shawn Michaels is the future. And there was all the early talk that Bret versus Sean at Mania was going to be the the passing of the torch, as it were. And you know, we got for the first couple of months. Bret took on Taker, took on Diesel on pay per view successive months. Shawn Michaels won the Royal Rumble in '96, and this was building up to the. Famous, infamous Iron Man match, WrestleMania 12. Yeah, is this the one that you and Ross aren't a big fan of? Well, originally, uh, Ross loved it, I believe. Um, uh, always has loved it. Always told me, go back and watch it. Uh, always wanted to do a commentary episode on it. Always wanted to, to delve into it. I was always... I never liked it when I first watched it. Try watching it years later. Couldn't get into it again. We actually did a commentary episode on it, which we'll actually upload at some point from our archives. And I came out of that show and the match. I liked it. It it was good. I think it it's aged pretty well. Uh, I've seen better. It's still not for me the best match in history, but it's a lot better than I first realised. You know, I, I loved it. Um, I, I, I couldn't have thought Ross didn't like it as well, but maybe you're right. And maybe just it was maybe yourself I was trying to convince as well. Yeah, it was me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I I loved it. And I mean, I think as you say, this is the this is Michael's year, isn't it? I mean, okay, Brett starts it, and then you get the the WrestleMania, and that's where it flips, and that's and then Sean basically controls it for the rest of '96. Well, yeah, uh, Sean, he, he they do the, the the payoff to to Diesel, Diesel's last pay per view match before he inevitably does end up going to WWE. Yeah. Uh he had a, uh, a couple of months he with Bulldog, then the controversy with Vader, which we've obviously we alluded to a little while ago. Uh then he had the classic with Mankind at Mind Games. Uh a forgotten match with Goldust for the championship at Buried Alive. Uh, in October. Um then he come up against Sid, who would beat him in that famous match in MSG in November at Survivor Series. But yeah, Shawn Michaels pretty much dominated nineteen ninety six as as WWE champion. Yeah, '96 is a good year. Uh, I I feel um, more the more I look at it, the more you're looking at these. Sean, as we we alluded to, like, Sean can have a match with anybody and make it good. His matches with Bulldog, the one at the King of the Ring, I believe, was really good. Uh, I know, as I say, you know you know what you're getting from from certain characters, and and Sean at the time seemed to be able to work around them. Um, I completely forgotten about the the, the Goldust. In your house, one um, completely, but again, I mean that was never going to be a bad match. Dust, Dustin's a great worker, mm-hmm. um, and again it goes with Sean. And then obviously we you go into Sid. So up until about what October, that's a great year on top. Yeah, you know, good matches. You've got solid guy. Okay, Bulldog's not. You know he's not. A, he's never going to be a. I was going to say a Hall of Famer, but um, <laughs> that's changing. But you know what I mean? He's never going to be that that calibre of competitor. But you're going to get a solid... You always get a 7 out of 10 from him for work rate. And as long as it's, it's positioned well and timed well, because he, he does tend to tire. Um, but it's just great guys. And, and, and we'll come on it later. But even the mid-card's got some, some great names in it and some great matches. Now, we mentioned Bret Hart in 95 as kind of the the mid-card holder in the holding position. Now, 96, after he lost the championship to Sean at uh, WrestleMania, uh, Brett disappeared. Brett took some time off, was gone uh, up until October. 
when he made his return amid much speculation over his future. There was a lot of talk that WSW had made him an offer. Um, Brett seemed to confirm this. I remember his, his comeback on Raw. He cut a promo with Vince in which allegedly he, as a shoot, uh, didn't tell Vince ahead of time what he was going to do. And, and him saying, I've signed a new deal with, with the World Wrestling Federation, apparently was a genuine thing that would, he made his decision on live TV. I don't know if how true that is, but yeah, he came back and that instigated the, the match with, with Steve Austin at Survivor Series. Yeah, because that's, I mean, I think it's quite well known as well, isn't it? He said a few times that that's what he, I think Austin said it as well, that Brett wanted that match. You know, he wanted to make, he's seen something in him. I think he's seen him in the WCW days. Uh, yes. When he was uh, stunning Steve. Yep. Um, and seen something about him. And, and obviously, 96 was Austin's 316 promo um, and it just set up for as, as you say the, the, the famous Wrestlemania match which was a great long a long build and, and it even continued on after that as well um, just that rivalry which was great well yeah I mean at King of the Ring 96 when when Austin sort of triumph and come through and cut the, the famous Austin 316 program but you know which we discussed off air that um, there's a bit of revisionist history thrown in. That's not necessarily, they say it's Austin's breakout moment. F- from June at King of the Ring up until Survivor Series in November, Austin didn't really do a lot. It's oh. not like he became this big star overnight. Yeah, he, they did nothing with him post King of the Ring. Yeah, no, I'm try- I was trying to think back to even like a big match or big moments, but there was nothing at all really that stands out until, until then. And even then, Survivor Series isn't isn't massive on his career trajectory either. You know, it's not a moment you really think back to. See, I see, I th- I think see, I'm the I'm the other side. I think that is when we first saw right. Stone Cold. That's because it had that. It was a legitimacy of well, he's Brett's chosen opponent, both in storyline and and behind the scenes. Yeah. So it, it added that, well, Brett wants to work with him. Brett has come back. He signed a new deal with the company. Sean Michaels has been the guy for the last six months. Brett's back now because Brett Hart wants this new future star, this up and comer, this guy that he sees so much in. He wants Steve Austin. And that immediate, just having Brett as that almost giving him the okay, that made Austin seem, hang on a minute, this is someone we need to be following here. It added their legitimacy to Steve Austin. Yeah, that, that's one hundred percent true. It definitely added the legitimacy and made him, made him, made him the mainstream guy. I guess. Um, it's just it's, again, it's just something that you I look back on anyway and don't think, oh, that's a moment. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean. Yeah. I think maybe just because Austin had so many. Um, true. True. Yeah. I, as I say, I always think back to the the Mania thirteen one. Like that's that to me. That's where Austin begins. But again, that's kind of that the youngster brain in me still, like twelve-year-old Ali's head, still thinks that. Whereas really, you're probably right. As in, if you think about business terms and the what Brett's done for Austin in that moment, and probably if you ask somebody like Austin himself, probably that is his time. Yeah. Whereas I always just look at that because it's such an iconic moment that you know the double turn. The, and I, I've got a picture um, signed by Bret Hart of 
Austin with the blood streaming down his face in the nice. sharpshooter. Yeah. Um, and that just that picture to me just that kind of defines Austin. That's where it to me in my head still just because of the everything and it's maybe the emotion that comes with it. That's the start of of Austin of who we are. You know, he's that the tough sob. Mm-hmm. Refused to quit. Went to sleep. Blood dripping down his face. And then obviously the story you hear behind it, where that's that's all Brett's idea. Yeah. Um, Brett saying he would take the heat for it if anything come of it. Um, just do it. And just I don't know. It's just that moment is so iconic. And so you're probably right in what you're saying about the the, the moment we you were discussing. But I think that. I can never shift that from my head, if that makes sense. No, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, so we mentioned briefly Kevin Nash going to WCW. Obviously, Scott Hall went as well, and, and they'd go on to form the NWO and change change the business completely. Back in the WWF, it wasn't the last we were going to see a Razor and Diesel. And I think we, you know, we'll mention it now because it was a low point in the company. It started uh, when Jim Ross on commentary made a claim that that Razor and Diesel were coming back. And this was just into the, the WSW career of Hall and Nash. The people were, you know, confused. Well, hang on a minute. Have, have they have they signed a new deal? Have they somehow got out of their deal? What what's what's going on? Uh JR in a me- memorable angle would turn heel on the company and on Vince McMahon and be this bitter, you know, shoot comment kind of announcer and and he would say that he was bringing back Razor Ramon and Diesel, and he brought out two guys who kind of looked a little bit like Hall and Nash. Do you remember much of this as a fan growing up? At the time, I don't remember any of it. And still, like, even going back watching it, obviously, when, when you hear about it, I didn't remember it at all. Like, I didn't click that it was a different Razor and, and Diesel. I just assumed it was the right, the same one, you know, just or slightly different looking, like you see an actor changing slightly in, you know, in a TV program. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, looking back now, you think, wow, I should have probably went to school more. <laughs> <laughs> because the difference was, was ridiculous. And, and even going back, like the GR, like a heel GR just sounds stupid. It does. You know, when you, when you know the GR that obviously we grew, and we grew up with and loved, um, as any wrestling fan, it just... I don't know. I, d- I don't know how this got past me at the time. Um, but it's... it's a- Kane was Kevin Nash, wasn't he? Uh, yep, Glenn Jacobs was uh, was 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 Nash. And uh, obviously he'd been Isaac Yankum the year before. Yeah, I mean... On 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 that, and just as we're talking about giving, like Vince must have had a lot of love for Glenn Jacobs in general, just to keep him around after those two disasters. Not I think that, I think he felt like he owed him. Yeah, ah, yeah, maybe that's the better way to put it. Because not that Glenn was to be blamed for any of them, but um, the fact that somebody has survived two of maybe the worst gimmicks, um, or infamous gimmicks anyway, not so much worst ones, but um, and still there, and basically still there, yeah, and become one of the one of the greatest characters. Yep, that there ever was. So yeah, that was a that was a low point in the company. Uh, obviously, we mentioned Brett coming back and starting the uh, and Austin's 
slow rise from from the Austin 316 promo King of the Ring. Uh, obviously, we said Shawn Michaels pretty much dominated the main event as champion for most of the of the year. Um, yeah. on the un- underneath uh, in the RC title picture, um, Gold Dust won the championship at the Rumble, beat Razor Ramon. That started Scott Hall's exit from the company. Um, I forgot about this until researching the show. Goldust would defend successfully on following pay-per-views against The Undertaker and The Ultimate Warrior. I remember the the, the Warrior match. I just didn't realise it was for the title. I just didn't remember the title. I, I remember the Goldust Ultimate Warrior but I totally forgot about Undertaker. Well, Gold, he actually when Gold, he faced Undertaker in February at In Your House Six, Taker won by count out, and then um, he then Goldust faced Warrior at Good Friends Better Enemies after Mania, won one by count. Now, bear in mind, Warrior returned at Mania Twelve, squash Triple H, where Hunter has Helms, we remember. Yes. Warrior's first feud back after his return was for the Intercontinental Championship against Goldust. Yeah, see, I didn't remember that as a feud. Well, I it, think, yeah, I, I don't know how much it was at a full-on... I think it was at, it went when, when pay-per-view. But, yeah, it was... Uh, and obviously, Goldust at that time... And he went back to The Undertaker. I believe it was a casket match in which Goldust won. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, and it was a very strange time for Goldust, who was still a new character, to be in there with Undertaker and Warrior, for, for the IC total, no less. Yeah, I mean, it showed the, the faith. I mean, I guess... That was down to the Rhodes name. Possibly. Yeah. Okay. And even at that time, the Rhodes name wasn't being acknowledged you know, on no. as part of Gold Dust. But yeah, still. Just that respect of the person and, yes. and, and, and Dusty for that reason. I can only imagine, because as you say, Gold Dust was new. He had that persona that, pro, that, again, didn't need a title. You know, for no reason it needed a title. Uh, it was just there to create heel and create baby faces, really, because he was yeah. a, really the closest thing they had to, like, a, even when you look at the main, they had Vader and Mankind, obviously, later in the year. Um, but Diesel was never a, because you, you knew what he was, he was never a true heel, because he'd already flip-flopped. Mm-hmm. Yep. Same, with, same with Bulldog, same with Taker at this point. Taker, you obviously, you always still believed in Taker as a heel, because he that. The dong was enough to scare you at that age. The only true heel was Goldust because we'd only ever seen him as this really weird, creepy. Again, it's a hard one to explain if you were if somebody had never heard of Goldust, you know. But he was the only true one they had, and obviously Warrior coming back was always going to be a babyface, no matter what. We had to be going in after that. So we've got yeah, Goldust. Emma Johnson was this the one when we spoke about Goldust pre-pod? Uh, yeah, that th- it. Ahmed was was getting over huge, uh, and the next logical step was the RC title. And they, you know, Ahmed uh, as a character took offence to Goldust and dominated him pretty strongly in the match. And Ahmed looked ready for big things. I remember the Survivor Series '95. He teamed with Shawn Michaels, and he looked like a star. He looked yeah. like a mega star. He really did. And and then Ahmed was just then Ahmed afterwards got injured, had to vacate the championship. And yeah, that, that was really it for him. Yeah. I always remember as a kid being really like hammered by Ahmed Johnson, you know, you just always, he was one, you just always wanted to win. He was the ultimate good guy, you know, probably yeah. face. Um, he had that look, you know, he was big. He had a bit of color about him as well. Cause he always had the bright red or a bright blue pads. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, I don't know. He always stood 
stood out, you know, and he, as you say, he was never scared of the, the bad guys. You know, he'd go looking for the fight if he needed to. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's looking back at it now, you, you, you realise why it didn't work. But at the time, it used to annoy you that he would always lose the big matches. You know, he, he, they always cheated him out of them, obviously, to, to protect him, but it was, it was just, it was frustrating at the time. But obviously looking back now, you, you see why. Now, late 96, also, at the time, we didn't know it back then, but as years have gone on, where we are now, 96 saw the debut of what would become one of the biggest stars in wrestling history, and currently the biggest star in Hollywood. Because one Rocky Marvia made his debut at Survivor Series 96. Who would have thought how that one would turn out? Yeah, um, that was, yeah, that, that was, was that for a straight for a title? Uh, no, he didn't win his first belt until oh, February of 97. No, he won the Survivor Series on he his own. He did, he, yeah, he, he, I think he eliminated two or three, Crush and Goldust he eliminated on his own yes. to be a sole survivor. So he got the push straight away. At the Garden as well, wasn't it? It was at the Garden, yep. What a debut, isn't it? Like, what? I mean, it, ultimately it paid off. I mean, it didn't look like it was going at the start. But what faith a company has in you to do that in such an arena? Having you hadn't even trained that long, if I'm right, like, yeah, properly. When I, I'm thinking, leaning like back to it, and I mean, it could have been so different if they try to keep him going as this baby face and not let him talk properly. And it just it just shows you what. A couple of good friends backstage can do for you, saying, remember, it's a live mic, just go and get over. Yep. <laughs> as long as you're willing to take the heat after it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as you say, that, that debut, along with along with the King of the Ring 96 for Austin, when you think of those two real, if you look at that Austin as really a debut, a, a coming out party for an Austin, mm-hmm. and then you've got The Rock, the, you know, and obviously what we don't know at the time with, with Triple H. You know, that's that's three year next what Well, we actually yeah, we talk about gimmicks and not great ones. Steve Austin, one of the stars in wrestling, came in as the ringmaster in nineteen ninety five. The with, ringmaster. Yeah. The ringmaster. He was a technician. That's all he was. He was he didn't talk. DBRC cut his promos. There was no there was nothing. It it was just a mechanic. It was, it was strange that they didn't let him talk um, because even like obviously in WCW as part of the Alliance there was a whole reason that Heyman put him as part of the Alliance yep, yep. because he could talk obviously they brought him to ECW to cut promos because he was hurt at the time and his promos were outstanding so that bit never made sense I liked I, I wouldn't have had an issue with him coming over as the ringmaster because at that time he was really good in the ring he was a good wrestler Um DBO, I loved the Million Dollar Championship. I, I liked it as a heel, just smug, cocky, you know, tight look. But the fact that they just didn't let him talk and they had him as the wrong gimmick, but I think it could have worked as a, if they brought him over as Stunning Steve with that look. Still let him talk about it. And you could still have him as DBOC as a manager. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah. then if, if Austin's going to, if they're going to let him talk... You don't need DiBiase. That's the thing. That, a manager yeah. should only be there really to talk if the wrestler can't talk themselves. 
yeah. if you got someone who can talk like Austin could, DBRC is, with, with all due respect to DBRC, a ball and chain. Yeah, it's my it's my frustration at a couple of gimmicks in current current situations in wrestling, but uh, that's for another day. Um, we also talked briefly. You mentioned about Triple H. Hunter Hearst Helmsley debuted in '95 as well, and again when. We're looking at around the 25-year anniversary, and it's incredible to think how. Where did that come from? Yeah, um, I I hated, which meant I liked it. <laughs> the, the, the Hunter Hearst Gimley gimmick it annoyed me. You know, it made me angry when I seen him. Although his first entrance theme, loved it. Oh to joy, absolute <laughs> banger. Well, I wasn't a fan. Obviously, we discussed that in our group the other day when we we had the the Champions League group type of. Of entrances now, it wasn't for me, um, but he just played that character so well. You know that rich, better than everybody. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think he's been a star from the start. Did I think that that skinny, you know, all bone no meat type guy would then be? Arguably one of the best to ever do it. One of the greatest characters, really. No, but I thought it had longevity, at least. It's so weird. You look at in that short, in that 18-month period, Triple H, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, all debut in, in incarnations that, in another, in another universe, may not have lasted six months, may have been released, may have been put down in in development or farmed out to Puerto Rico, ECW, or just let go and definitely you wouldn't hear from him again. Yeah, definitely wouldn't last in today's climate. You know, when you think of the, you don't time now to build a character. It's so weird to think of that. I think, as you say, they got lucky at the time where they didn't have many stars. You know, they had uh, taken out Diesel, obviously, this year because he leaves, but you've got Sean, you've got Brett, Taker, really, yeah, star wise. So, those three kind of occupied each other, like on rotation, as you said, and bringing in Sid. Sid was a star as, as bad as he was for me. I didn't, I wasn't a fan, but he was, he was, he was that household name. And when you talk about entrance themes meaning something, Sid's was iconic that screeching. <laughs> so, it kind of gave the, the mid carders that time to do what they wanted because the top guys, they didn't need to find guys for the top guys. They, they just had enough that they could bring one or two in and slip them back down that wasn't hurting any. So it just gave, and going back to what you said about Austin's Austin's moment obviously not being king of the ring in the promo, it didn't have to be. You know, they didn't have to force it upon anybody because they had that time where they could just leave them developing and building up. Whether they were working on the 316 character backstage, because at this time, remember they were writing... Their, their stories a year in advance mm-hmm. so they didn't have to change anything too much even with that promo say you know they could still build it in as you say Brett kind of built built it in probably sooner than it was going to come Yeah, by him enforcing look if you want me I want him so you know deal with it I mean if Brett doesn't do that we maybe didn't go Austin until till 97 that's the thing how much could have changed with one thing it's it's really strange yeah, yeah. over in the tag team picture it was pretty much the year of the smoking guns in 96 they they had the belts going into the year they've they've vacated after after billy gun suffered an injury they got them back again uh in in may 
and then held them um, through till September, in which case Owen Hart, again, we met the year previous year, was Yokozuna. This year's with the British Bulldog, great team. And yeah, it was pretty much a guns and Owen and Bulldog year for the tag, tag division. Yeah, they didn't have much much opponents, did they? There wasn't at... a lot. No, I mean, the body donners were there with, with Skip and, and Zip, uh, Tom Pritchard. But... Tony was the star of that. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, the the Godwins God... were there. Yeah, yeah, they were there. They were thereabouts. I mean, as a kid, you must have enjoyed the Godwins, though. I really? feel I feel awful for, 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 for liking them. But yeah, because you know, when you're a kid, you don't know any better. You, you're no. dumb, really. Uh, a bit like earthquake and typhoon, you know, you, yes. you for whatever. But they had the bucket of slop, and because they were always those, even when they were heels, they were kind of good guys. Because you always wanted to see that pervert, perverse mind of you, somebody getting slopped. <laughs> it was just, it was just one of those things. But yeah, it wasn't a great tag division, as you say. It definitely finished with Owen and Brett on top, which was great. And then obviously that leads into '97, which is was it just builds on those two that then obviously became the Heart Foundation. Um, and some of Brett's best work for me um, as a heel when he's hating on America. Oh, the Heart Foundation in 97. And Brett, that whole story is, is one of my favourite stories in wrestling ever. It's one of my favourite time periods. When Jim comes back, um, when Brett's on the top of the ramp, literally, the only reason I remember, because I've just finished watching this one, Brett's up on his own because he'd hurt his leg. Austin, mm-hmm. uh, so he's getting he's getting hurt by Austin, um, and then Anvil comes from nowhere, and that's him coming back as well. And it just that faction together is just great. It just looks great, you know. The Canadian flag, the British flag for Bulldog, yep. just the proper anti. Just one of the best factions WWE have ever had. Absolutely, not, not talked about enough. Absolutely, I remember back in the day we did we did the episode on factions that yeah, you know yeah. we, we'll look at uploading as a a flashback one day, and it was just yeah that there have been some some really really good ones. That pretty much wraps us up for for ninety six. As we said at the top of the show, we're we're looking at folks on ninety five and ninety six as as we just dip our toe in ninety seven. Uh, you know, Austin and and Brett are building up to their match at, at WrestleMania. Um, Shawn Michaels is. Uh, has had dropped the belt to Sid Survivors. He'd go in to get it back at Rumble, and then that would go into the whole losing his smile, knee injury, you know, blah, 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 and all that lot. And as 97 went on, obviously the Brett and Sean rivalry off and on screen would heat up. Yeah. And we know how that, how that ended up um, on that dark day in Montreal, of course. Um, and yeah, and obviously that's really when the attitude era starts to come in is sort of mid-97. There was a lot more reliance on the, the language, the content, the violence, and uh, the more realism in, in some cases. So yeah, our focus has mainly been to stay on just on, on 95 and 96 and looking at the, the, what we are going on angle and champions and yeah, just a, a bit of a, a look back. Yeah, I mean, this, just quickly on 97, at the start of 97, the heavyweight, the, or the main title picture, is a complete mess. It, it The title kind of flip-flops constantly. Well, yeah, I mean, reported, legend has it that the plan all along was for Sean to drop the belt to, to Brett at Mania, Mania 13, 97 as a receipt for the Iron Man match. Yeah. That was the story, that Brett would beat Austin in his comeback. Austin would be bubbling under, with the, the long-term plan being that Brett and Austin would main event Mania 
14 in 98 and Brett would, would drop the title to, to crown the new champion past the torch. But then Sean thought, oh, I don't want to lose to Brett. He vacated the belt. They did the, the final four. It flopped from Brett to Sid to Taker. Oh, yeah. And then obviously the, the whole Heart Foundation kicked in and Brett would get the belt back at SummerSlam. And obviously we know from there. But yeah, it's all, I mean, all because of, apparently Shawn Michaels, it's it's a mess. Yeah, just, as I say, it's 97 I'm on just now and it, it seems like every show, you know, like the champions in a new feud and um, I think the title, I'm only in May, I could maybe just in June, and I think the title's changed six times. Well, yeah, I mean, for, from memory, you had, Sid came into the era's champ, dropped it yeah. to Michaels at Rumble, then Michaels forfeited it, so at Final Four, it was uh, Brett, Taker, Vader, Austin, Brett won that, Sid beat him the next night, then Taker beat Sid at, at Mania, and then Taker held it through till SummerSlam. So yeah, it, that's. I mean, you look at how, how few, how how little the belt changed hands in '95 and '96. In '97, you've already gone from you know from Sean to dropping it, and then to to Brett to Sid to Taker. Yeah, yeah. So and it's like there's no correlation with it when you're watching it. Like, I mean, you probably didn't think that at the time, you know, obviously as a child. But looking at it, and I'm like, because like as you say, Vader's coming into it, Mankind's in matches, and then you've got Austin fighting for the title, and you're like. What? What? <laughs> well, that's not, that's not, that's actually one of the broke points. Ninety six that, that we kind of overlooked is Matt, uh, Mick Foley. Mick yeah. Foley came in ninety six just after Mania. Started with the Undertaker straight away. Huge way to come into the company, uh, and actually beat the Undertaker at King of the Ring. Beat the Undertaker. It was it was amazing. And then they did the the Boiler Room Brawl, in which after Paul Bearer turned on the Taker, shockingly turned on the Undertaker. Yeah, it happened with the arm. Yeah, at SummerSlam and. Yeah, it was just for for Mick Foley to get that kind of push and confidence and to, coming in, especially when we've heard about, you know, Vince wasn't sure about Mick Foley. J- JR really had to convince him to to take a chance on Foley. Yeah. Um, no, he, he was great. I mean, he's Mankind's an excellent character at this time. He, I, I'm watching sit downs with JR just now. That's what's happening. You know, he he does the he done the three part sit down with Gr. Yes, um, which was great. You know, like when you think of the character that that Mankind was, and you know, Gr's terrified, but oh, just excellent. Just you, you can really see how he started to get some great writers or some great minds. You know, coming in ninety seven, ninety eight. I mean, a lot of the stuff. I mean, actually, you know, it's definitely thought of far too highly by some. It's nostalgic, great, but. Some of the stuff we've seen is terrible, but some writing, just little moments like that, you know, as you say, bringing mankind in the way he did, just this sit-down on Paul Bearer's behaviour in 97 when he, obviously, he's alluding to the whole Kane stuff, and um, it's just some great, great white work, and um, it's just, oh, I'm, I'm loving what I'm done, and coming back to the, the 95, 96 that we've just come on, it's just been, was great to do. So much stuff that you actually forgot, and even do you know what we did forget how big Mark Merrill was at this time oh yeah he came in at Mania Mania 12 he debuted as this big because he obviously was Johnny B. Bad in WSW and Vince brought him in big contract and I mean obviously it didn't it didn't end up working out that Sable actually became the biggest star but yeah I mean he came in flying and he kind of had that high flyer cocking it you know the only thing that let him down was 
the bad guy stuff didn't really work. Yeah. You know, when he got hurt and he came back and then he was turning on Sable and he, he owned Sable and all that sort of stuff. I think that's kind of what let him down. But, yeah, no, he, he was a good character as well. And at the time, as a kid, I loved him. You know, he, he would flip over the ropes and, and just, you know, all that gimmicky stuff that you probably don't care for too much now. But, yeah, he was fun. So, yeah, that's uh, that's our look at the, the, the quote, new generation of the WWF in in the mid 90s uh as we said you know there's enough places to to get your fix of the attitude era so we wanted to go one step back from that and and look at that time uh, if i'm sure we've we've missed some things out that you found you know uh as listeners found memorable or not so memorable or or anything else and that's where we would encourage you to, to let us know what you thought uh whether it be as the show overall or a certain part or something you felt we we overlooked or anything like that um you can contact us in a multitude a smorgasbord of ways um you can do us on facebook over at ring the bell show on twitter and instagram at ring the bell pod and of course by email at ring the bell pod at gmail.com as well as obviously that as you already listen to us now you can get us on a various amount of places like anchor spotify google Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your shows and all we do ask in returns if you have the option to do so please leave a five star rating and a nice well-worded review absolutely yeah it's been a pleasure again um and i, I really do hope people give us feedback on their memories because talking about old wrestling more so than the, the, the newer stuff just uh, always makes for a fun conversation we'll be making many more of these i am absolutely sure just like i'm absolutely sure that one day very soon uh ali here will be joining me once again or myself or ross or martin or anyone else that we can corral into ring the bell studios and chuck on a headset and give them a mic and let them talk for a couple of hours really yeah it's like it's like the nwo it's getting bigger if we do we're not adding vincent <laughs> can put the title on visual so yes thank you Ali for, for returning and for joining me today I'll be talking to you again very very soon and you the listener thank you for letting us in and giving us some of your time especially in this uncertain world we live in at the moment it is very much appreciated this has been Ring the Bell I have been Andrew I've been Ali Ali Andrew Ring that bell Ring that bell